Hey guys, and welcome to the Is The Cinema podcast. It's going to be me by myself, well not fully by myself, I'm joined by one of my great friends, Alan. So, say hi Alan. Hi guys, you alright? If you can't tell, Alan's Mank, so you're going to a different accent. I'm going from Birmingham with Jess to Mank with Alan. But I had to bring him here because he's the only person I could discuss this specific film with about this director, about this topic. He's the only person that's going to understand me more than anyone. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. We talked about this for literally 40 minutes before we even started recording, to be honest. And we talked about United as well, but that's besides the point. But uh, before we get into Oppenheimer, we'll do all the admin stuff, all the episodes, Dead Reckonings on there, our review on that, Ambition Impossible's ranking... We did Guardians, we've done Across the Spider-Verse, so all that fun stuff's on there. Our top films of the year, which includes Oppenheimer in my list and in Jess's list, is also up. And then obviously you have this episode, so these are we've got to have a little bit of a two, three-week break, so just taking all the content and then we'll be back straight into September with the new slot of films. The admin's out of the way, I can talk about this film. Alan, let me go into it. So before you watch the film, what were your expectations? Then when you watched it, did it meet it? If it didn't, what did it not meet? Or if it exceeded it, how did it exceed it? So as you know me, I talk myself down before I watch any good film. Yeah. Because I don't want to, or what's perceived that's going to be a good film, because I don't want my feelings to get hurt, quite frankly. Um, so I talked myself into this being maybe not great, but also really important because, you know, my degree's in biochemistry. I am a scientist. I, you know, I, I, I did not need an excuse to watch this film, even if it was going to be crap, right? You know, it's, and the, the cast is just phenomenal. And like you said, it just seemed like they were pulling like names out of a hat at one point. Um, because I, I completely forgot that Gary Oldman was in the film. And then when he turns up as President Truman, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but the cast was insane. So I, I, I had the expectation it was going to be good. I went in thinking it was going to be good, not great, just because I tempered my own. And to make a long story short, it blew that out the water. I need to watch it again. But I really think that this is in my top two or three films of all time. Across any genre, at she, I, I literally, you mirrored my exact thoughts. I was going into this with like, this is gonna be good, but I was more because I come from a different perspective. Because obviously, I studied history, so I'm like, this particular part of history is my favorite period of time. Like, I love studying it. Obviously, not for what happened because it was terrible, but more for the reasoning behind all the decisions because every decision made in that period affects has affected us even us now. Like, what eighty years later so I was always really fascinated and I was always really fascinated with Oppenheimer um and the creation of the atomic bomb and the things it led to in the immediate there there and after and then future in terms of the nuclear arms race between the USSR and um America so I was like this would be good Killian's in it love Killian the only chavvy thing about me is that I love Peaky Blinders it's it's one of my favorite TV shows, and Toby Shell is one of the best TV characters I've ever watched. He he doesn't get enough shine. Weirdly, I'm saying this, but he should be right up there with the 
um, Tony Sopranos with the Kendall Roy's. Like, he should be right up there in terms of what we talk about. But obviously, they haven't got the benefit of being on HBO. Um, but when I watched it, and I was watching it with more of a historical lens because I wanted to make sure that they were following exactly the timeline. I know that if he was following American um, Prometheus, which I've read the book for anyways, but bloody hell, he exceeded every expectation I ever had. That's probably Nolan's best film. And my favourite film ever by him is The Prestige. He's done many films since The Prestige and that has never been knocked off my top spot. This is the first time in nearly eight years. No, not even eight years now. When did The Prestige come out? 2006. So that's what, 17 years? And this film's topped it. I, I, swear, I don't know how he's going to top Oppenheimer. I think it's one of the best biopics I've ever watched. Put it right there with Oliver Stone's JFK. I do not know how Killian tops this. I do not know how Emily Blunt tops this. I do not know how RDJ tops this. I don't know how Aldrin tops what he did in that film. I don't know how Jason Clark does it. I don't know how Rami Malek tops it. Like, there's so many people who produced a career best performance in the little time they had. David Cromaltz was genius. I mean, I didn't even know Gary Oldman was going to be in the film. I haven't seen President Truman. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, they, you really, like, scraped the barrel here, get everyone. So Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> I saw Tony Goldwyn. I'm like, why is President Fitz <laughs> in, in the film about Oppenheimer? The JFK name drop was insane. Felt like an MCU cameo. But the whole thing was just bloody... I thought it was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be this this perfect i generally i for me i thought the film that was going to take my heart was going to be the killers of the moon by obviously by marty i thought that was going to be my film of the year had that i saw the trailer i thought yeah this is gonna be my film i'm gonna take on lily gladstone's oscar campaign i'm gonna run with it but i don't know how marty tops this like i i sat there and i was like i don't know how anyone releasing a film this year tops this I don't know how Christopher Nolan himself tops it himself. Like I, I, he literally is. It's the culmination of everything that makes him great in one film. It felt like I don't know if you felt this way as well, but you know when you started watching the film, it felt like a Nolan second act. There was no first act. It just when you were straight into it. Like I've never. It's never that a Nolan film's never done that before. It's quite slow for the first hour, and then you're really picking up the pace. This one's like, yeah, nah, like we're getting straight into it. You're meeting this man. Here's Gene Tatlock. Go. And I think they needed it because of, even though it was three hours long, the amount that Oppenheimer did and his life and the history behind his life and how important the Manhattan Project is. Um, the only criticism I have is they probably should have given a little bit more background on the atom in the film. I know that's not really Oppenheimer. Yeah. But like sort of underpin how important Niels Bohr is to the whole thing. Yeah. And not just Bohr, but Ernest Rutherford as well, how yeah. important he was. Um, because these are guys that Oppenheimer really looked up to. Um, and, you know, if you're including Rutherford and Bohr in it, you include Manchester in it. But, you know, that's a personal bias. It's a personal preference. Um, yeah, that's no, a personal I think, bias there. I think you're right, because that's true. I think they, the practical effects of, of what he did in terms of the science of it was insane. I, I was shocked to know that wasn't CGI. 
because I think obviously Nolan's quite a science nerd anyway, so she, if you watch Interstellar, yes. of course the ending of Interstellar puts up the question of the science quite skewed. But if we ignore the last 20 minutes of Interstellar and just look at the the entire film bar that mm-hmm. moment, you can tell he's really into the science of everything. So I knew going into this, this is going to be a bit of a great thing for me because I'm a bit of a physics nerd. So I was like, okay, this is great. Like I'm having a great time, love physics and stuff. But what the only thing I would say that I think he needed to add is that as well. Actually, I didn't think about that. That's actually quite necessary. Um, and I think he did quite a good job of making science quite accessible because what was really nice was seeing like, I had like younger kids at my screening. They were about like 10, 12. Mm-hmm. And I watched it at the Science Museum as well, which was quite fitting. Um, and it was really nice seeing younger kids going like, oh. I hope oh. they closed the eyes, their eyes at Florence Pugh. Oh, yeah. I hope they just went like, no, no. <laughs> Not topless Florence Pugh. Um, but <laughs> but um, I think, there's I heard some of the kids like tell their parents like oh like I want to study like physics that sounds cool I'm like that's great like of course not for the reasons as to why they did obviously with Oppenheim in terms of the creation of the bomb but to make the science of it that accessible was quite interesting and it's quite cool like you know they did um, obviously I don't want people to go and make bombs don't go into physics for that terrible idea but it's quite nice that they made science so accessible to those kids but I think for me what I thought they should have added and it's my main criticism of the film and it's the only criticism I have because otherwise everything's perfect is when you obviously you create the city in Los Alamos for all the scientists to go in with their families and their children to obviously create this bomb um you're removing a lot of people who live in that area so Native Americans Mexicans normal citizens who who actually didn't do anything but now have to move so they could create a bomb that at that time you didn't know if you were going to use they could have given a 10, 15 minute slot for that. Yeah, I agree. And, and for me, that would be the only criticism I have. I don't agree, and me and Alan have already discussed this, with the criticisms of adding the actual aftermath of Hiroshima, the, the bomb is in Japan. I don't think that's necessary for this film because it's telling the story of Oppenheimer. It's not the story of Pearl Harbor and the Japanese bombings and the surrender. Like we don't, and also I kind of, I personally do not want a white man and a British American man at that in Christopher Nolan dealing with that. There is a a nuance there. He was not going to understand that a Japanese filmmaker will. So I know people, some people want that. Please, I'll literally, if you want me to tell you the films to watch, just at me and I'll tell you what Japanese films to watch. They will deal with the subject matter a lot better than a white man would. And and Christopher Nolan will not, as great as a filmmaker he is, no. I don't want him to touch stories of people from ethnic minorities. It's not necessary. I think this story is about Robert Oppenheimer unfortunately Robert Oppenheimer was not caring about the after effects of what his work was going to be doing obviously he cared afterwards but he was caring about I need to finish this project because I want to beat the Nazis that was his present thought if that's a problem you have then don't watch the film because that's what Oppenheimer's mindset was in that specific period of time don't watch it like I want people to take the thing off if that's something you don't want to watch don't watch it Watch something else that fits that palette of that fits that what you want to watch perfectly fine. If the criticism is basic about Los Alamos, I think that's completely valid and we, we should have had that in the film because that was a heavy, heavy dialogue and a massive subplot in the film was obviously trying to get all these scientists to this one place. 
and they mentioned it in a couple of lines saying something about oh we should give back the land to the Indians like that's the phrase he used obviously I'm not using it myself um afterwards obviously not caring that you should kick these people out of this place now you want to bring them back three years later and I'm like well you've moved them now mm-hmm. where do you want them to go but yeah like I completely agree with you in that sense I think the atom and I think seeing the after effects of the implications of your decision making in terms of making the city where they create the bomb I think that's a huge part but I thought for this episode instead of going narratively I was going to do character by character so we'll do the main the big four so obviously we'll do Kitty we'll do um Robert obviously J, J, Robert Oppenheimer and Strauss and then we'll probably go into our favorite cameos because just I, very quickly I think Matt Damon gets overlooked in films now. He really does, because The Martian's a very good film. I need people to go and watch that. Because Matt Damon is constantly up here in every single film, right? Like, one of my favourite performances he's ever done is Carol Shelby in Le Mans 66 or Ford versus Ferrari. Wherever you 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 are matt damon is exceptional and and i think we take matt damon for granted because regardless of what role he is in he's brilliant he is 10 out of 10 like i i I cannot find a fault in matt damon in this film either as as general groves um it it was fun he was fantastic yeah he was fantastic he was probably the most all of them were like their characters a lot but he was very like i felt like i was watching groves if you've yeah. watched the footage of Gross and the documentary footage of the atomic bomb being made, Matt Damon nailed him quite well. But we'll go into... We'll, uh, let's go into Robert Downey Jr. because I have bloody hell. <laughs> what, what did you think? Well, uh, I, I tried to um, sort of distance myself from... I know about Lewis Strauss from the point of view of history, right? Again, science buff. Um, I'm interested in this stuff. It It is what it is. I'm a s- sad science nerd, but it's life, right? Like that's the life I've chosen. Um, I'm lit- I, t- I literally teach science for a living now. Like that's the life I've chosen. I'm proud of it. I love it. Um, and I'm not ashamed of it. So I knew about the story of Oppenheimer and Strauss and how they essentially made and don't get me wrong, I don't think there's any heroes here, quote-unquote, but they made Oppenheimer out to be the main villain after the war, and that's because he realised how big his ramifications were. But I try to forget all of that going into the film, to cut a long story short. Um, and on Robert Downey Jr., I he, he makes you think that Louis Strauss is a good person for like all of half an hour, 45 minutes, and then when you see the devolution of him going into, as you said before we started recording, just a regular Republican, um, sorry to, um, you know, if I've upset any Republicans there, I'm, I'm not sure sorry, be upset. About it. <laughs> you know, don't care. Um, but he was phenomenal. Like I, like when he, when when I heard he was getting Oscar buzz for this performance, I was like, is he really gonna be that good? And that final act of the film, the way he acted, especially in conjunction with Rami Malek, unreal. Unreal. Robert Downey, man. Robert Downey. What Nolan did... Oh, I remember, I was watching a documentary on Nolan. Oh, what film was it again? I think it was the film on Mozart that came out in the 80s. They, they did him and Kenny Murphy were doing that interview. 
you know, in that French interview when you're going through the DVD store and you're picking up mm-hmm. what films inspired you. And there's a film about Mozart um, in the 80s and I think Mozart was having this like, little rivalry. I'm trying to remember what films. I've seen that film with my dad. But it's basically about that and how he wanted Strauss and Oppenheimer to have that sort of little, do you know what I mean, tension between the pair of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for me... When I heard Robert Downey was getting, RDJ was getting Oscar buzz, I thought, you know what? It's not that unsurprising because I remember him in Tropic Thunder. Brilliant. I think his performances in Iron Man 3 and Civil War were sublime. Like, sublime. I think Infinity War, his scenes with Tom were, Tom Holland were phenomenal, especially near the end when yeah. Tom's about to disappear into thin air. Um, so I've we've seen him with meat with meaty work what he can do especially in civil war like civil war he was brilliant so i was always thinking like yeah he can definitely do it if you give him the work he'll do it he'll do justice and then to actually see him i completely forgot it was him oh like completely and he's probably one of the most charismatic men in hollywood like he he's himself one of the most recognizable men in in hollywood he's just him I did not get one bit of him in this film. Like, I couldn't tell it was him. And Louis Strauss is probably one of the most complex characters in American history in terms of his role. And he did such a good job of, I won't read from because I knew the truth. But for the for a person who doesn't know too much, who probably knows little about it, sort of make you root for him a little bit. Because you're like, maybe he is right. Maybe Oppenheimer is this guy. Maybe it isn't, you know, do you know what I mean? Maybe like, yeah, he should be doubted a little bit. And then that final act with Rami Malek, Rami Malek, I mean, I could go in, I can go into a soliloquy, soliloquy about him because he was brilliant with the very little work he had. But just to see him in a role like that was so refreshing because I'm like, do you know what? To act against Killian, and Killian was dropping a masterclass in acting like that was and to hold your own and you weren't in it much to be honest in the grand scheme of a three-hour film he weren't in it much and for people to walk away and say you're one of the things i remember the most about it like it's crazy like he was i have no notes he could have not done anything differently he was Mm -hmm. perfect the fall from grace he had at the end of the film brilliant that's how it was in real life that's how it was in real life and he handled it so well because strauss is not the easiest character to play because you've got to make the audience sort of understand your perspective because the audience obviously are not rooting for oppenheimer but you're sort of you're viewing it from his lens so you're sort of on his side naturally subconsciously because you're watching it from his perspective so you've got to sort of make the audience walk with you and think like oh actually we should be questioning oppenheimer a little bit what is he doing and then obviously till you get to the point where obviously David David Hill, obviously Robert Milet's character goes, hang on a second, I know what you've been doing the entire time. And I know your plan. And obviously then it goes all goes away. And obviously his reaction to that to his fall from grace. So I thought that was some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. I think he's written his name on the Oscar. I think it will take a masterclass from someone to take it from him. I think Ryan Gosling is very unlucky 
that Robert Downey Jr. had that performance. Very unlucky because Ryan Gosling could have won an Oscar in any other year except that year. He he almost definitely does win an Oscar. He definitely wins an Oscar in any other year than this year. He wins it last year, one million. He wins it last year. He wins it the year before. He like he he wins an Oscar. I think he takes a Golden Globe, maybe. Maybe he'll take one. He will take one. I think it depends. I think it depends on what category they might. Because they'll put him in supporting. They'll put him supporting. So Ryan Gosling. Yeah, they won't put him in lead. They'll put him in supporting. I know. I know he wasn't the lead. That was Margot Robbie, but he was the male lead. I'm. I'm just. I know because I think that's what they would. I think they would just put him in supporting just because of the way his character was titled in the film. Yeah. So they're gonna have to put him in supporting. Um, and Fair. It's also, and also, but, it's also his best shot. I think his best shot is to be the main character, main main lead actor. Oh uh, no, because he's up against Killian. He's up against Leo. He's up against. Um, who else? I think people might vote for. I think people might vote for right because Ryan Gosling was so good in Barbie. I know, but the thing is, I think his what people will compare is was he better than Killian? And Killian was in Oppenheimer. Probably the answer to that's probably no. Fair. No, no. Fair. I'm, I'm just. I'm just spitballing. Cause, yeah, because I think in. I think in any other year, I think just because of what he's been titled as and how they've promoted mm-hmm. him, he's definitely the. Um, supporting actor it's sort of the conundrum yeah. that Succession had with um, what's his face with Kieran Culkin because Kieran Culkin yeah. technically should have gone for support if he goes for supporting he wins by yeah. going for lead you're up against Jeremy and Jeremy barely had any work to do until that last episode and that last episode he basically won it the last episode won him yeah, no, the Emmy it won him the Emmy like I had Kieran winning and then towards the middle of the season, I thought, oh, Jeremy's starting to take it a little bit. And then the last two episodes, especially that last episode, I'm like, yeah, sorry, Kieran, babes, go for the different category. You're not going to take it from his hand. Same as Brian. But Brian Cox, I got why he went for lead, to be honest, because the monologue in episode two deserves to be up there. So he's in that same predicament Kieran Culkin was in. But personally for me, if I'm Ryan, go for supporting. Supporting, at least then you can put up a fair fight against mm-hmm. RDJ. And I think Robert De Niro will probably be in there because of Killers of the, the Moon as well. Yes. You can put a fair fight against them because a lot of people, you were the best part of Barbie for a lot of people. So then it sorts... It sorts he was question, amazing. He was amazing at Barbie. So it sort of puts the question between the pair, like, okay, who do I want more, basically? But, very but I think it's RDJ though. It's RDJ's it's Oscar. R- it's RDJ's Oscar. He he clean sweeps. He clean sweeps. The British are gonna like it. I just, it I just Brit. think, I think that there's a lot of hate towards the MCU at the moment. Um, unnecessary hate, hate that is unwarranted. Um, I obviously I'm biased being a huge MCU fan. Um, but there's a lot of hate going around for the MCU right now that there wasn't four or five years ago when people were enthralled by it. Funny how people change their opinion to match popular opinion on Twitter, right? Um, people don't stick to their convictions about things. Um, but people going, Oh yeah. Now, now that Robert Downey Jr. Isn't in the MCU anymore, he can make films like this. And I'm like, without the MCU, Robert Downey Jr. Isn't in a film like this. Yeah. He won't be in a film. Like I think people try to do revisionist, revisionist history with the MCU. 
without Robbie Downey Jr., without actually the Kevin Feige giving him and John Favreau the chance, he doesn't have a career. This was his no. last chance. So I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang went flat at this point. He had Tropic Thunder that came out in the year Ryan Man did. That was his little, like, yep. hurrah. But without this, like, people seem to forget the MCU in his heyday. He's the reason why, for better or for worse, the MCU is what it is. The last yep. two years of the MCU, actually, we can't even do the last two years because Wakanda Forever came out in that period as well. But the last two years of the MCU, you're judging RDJ based on those two years rather than the years from 2008 to 2019 when Endgame finished. Like that, that was good cinema. Like his performances, and also the whole criticism is stupid because Scarlett Johansson got um, what Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit in that period of time. Mark yeah. Ruffalo had quite a few films in that time period as well. And um, then you also had I'm trying to remember who else: Jeremy Renner, um, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth. Um, you Brie Larson. They got got Brie Larson straight from her Oscar win. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson was in quite a few films. He did Django in that yeah, time did. period. Um, so you got all these actors. They, Zendaya, bloody hell, she just she did. What she's June. in everything. She's in everything. She's won Emmys whilst being in the MCU. So that whole criticism doesn't really make sense because there were poaching actors in their peak in their prime. Do you know what I mean? So and the MCU still it's has it hit. The heights of Endgame. No, but that's a culmination of 11 years of storytelling. Yeah, I think people sort of need to understand that you've got to start the whole thing from scratch again because we haven't got and the original do, They're six. doing a really good job of it as yeah, well. Yeah, they're doing a decent like, job of it. Like, I'm sorry, people expected way too much from the multiverse of madness. Um, they expected the whole like multiverse saga to be over in that film. I'm like, no, that's just the start of it. Like, do we not get that that's opening the door for everything? We actually even forgot future. Benedict Cumberbatch got an Oscar nomination. He, he was insane. Literally two years ago. <laughs> he was insane in dog. that film. So no, I, I'm sorry. Like, no, I think we have a massive revisionist history because of the last couple of years of the MCU, uh, which hasn't been great. Um, but it hasn't been bad it hasn't, either. It hasn't been terrible. It's just been average. It's been okay. If we're comparing, if we're comparing it to Phase One of the MCU, oh, it's, better. it's, it's better. way better. It's way better because way, way it's, better. it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, like we're comparing the, the same, yeah, the same thing to each other. So honestly, that's why I'm not getting the RDJ things. I'm like, but watching Iron Man three, Civil War, um, like what you call it, Endgame, Infinity War, and feeling mm -hmm. moved by it. Like, just because you don't like superhero content don't mean he won't do an actual good work. I think Winter Soldier is one of the best political thrillers that have come out in the last 15 years. Because it is. What a film. What it's, a film. Like, I think the use, the actual use of panic attacks and anxiety in Iron Man 3 is probably one of the best done in a long... I, I, obviously, I'm a psychologist, so I'm speaking from experience, but that's some of the best use of it. Like it's why I, mean? I always fall back on you on opinions like that. Yeah. yeah so, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'll, I'll back RDJ because without the MCU, RDJ is not in a Christopher Nolan film. That gave him the chance to basically. Do. And Christopher and Christopher Nolan even said to himself, like, RDJ um, is probably one of the best 
movie stars of his generation, but he's also one of the best actors of his generation. And he wanted people to yeah. remember that. Because I think people just remember him as RDJ and not actually, this guy was a very talented actor. And he has been. Who, Let me who, show you. Who messed up his own career through you know through his own decision making being stupid made made it made it better for himself um overcome addiction which is incredibly hard to do overcome everything he's absolutely thriving and i absolutely respect him for what he's done since though like the way he's turned his life around is like a beautiful story for any addict like maybe it won't happen to that scale right but if you want a success story robert downey Dun- jr yeah, it's right? a perfect example of it and i think this role for him was just it was so nice to see a director pull it out of him mm-hmm. because that's always been there with him. And I think people got so caught up in the whole Tony Stark thing that, and that's the audience's fault because there's been really good performances of him as Tony Stark. I think Civil War is a perfect example of it. Very well done. Oh yeah. But I think people just think of him as Tony Stark. And I think Chris, I think Robert Downey Jr. said himself that Christopher Nolan created such a nurturing experience for him and a nurturing set. And basically got him like, just calm down. Yeah, I just want you to do this. And just and Robert Downey Jr. said it's the best advice he got given because sometimes being asked to tone it down, he needed that. And it wasn't because yeah. of the whole Tony Stark thing. That's just his role's been since two thousand eight. Just been him basically almost playing himself to an extent. Um, so that was brilliant. Let's get into the for me who was the scene stealer, who was probably the most underrated performance in the film. She should be getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Emily Blunt. Oh. That questioning scene with Jason Clark was some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. Like, yep. she was so good. Because Katie's such a hard character to play. Yes. She's not... And I love watching it. She's not a nurturing, motherly figure. That's no. not her. She's a scientist herself. She's... And for her to... Ne- God, it was... Um, she was amazing. She was actually... That question you see, I sat there and I didn't drink. I didn't eat. I don't think I breathed at all. I just kept watching her. And my mouth was wide open. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe I have the privilege to watch this. Like, watch her do mm-hmm. this. And for me, like Emily Blunt has always been one of the most underrated actresses of her generation anyways. Absolutely. She's incredible. And I don't think she gets the plaudits that she deserves. And I'm very, 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 very happy that she's getting her plaudits now because she deserves it. Like she's mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. I don't know what you thought about it and her role in the film. Oh, the way that she was, she played Kitty perfectly. Like, like you said, she's a scientist. She's a cold a cold woman who did have her addiction to alcohol and that the film made that very clear and it was beautifully done the way it was like interweaved with everything but the thing that sticks out to me is when Oppenheimer Robert Oppenheimer played by Killian Murphy talks about his relationship with Kitty where he goes we're adults like in the sense of we don't need to show affection all the time but we have a really strong relationship that no one's going to get between. It was just when when they're waiting for Kitty to do her, her questioning with the lawyer, when the lawyer's like, shouldn't we be getting in there? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. We got this. And they did have it. Like, cause then as soon as that scene went in, bam, it was, um, 
Emily Blunt, like, the first thing I saw her in properly was The Devil Wears Prada. Same, yep, yeah. Ever since, when I hear Emily Blunt's in a film, I'm like, cool, I know this is going to be at least minimum good. Like, it might not be great, but it'll be good. And I'll enjoy it probably, and I'll be able to, you know, get into the film, because Emily Blunt doesn't make bad films. Um, She's very much, like we were talking about Matt Damon, she's very much in that tier of, like, I trust the film if there's certain actors in there. She's one of them. Matt Damon's one. Leo, as you've mentioned, a million, billion, trillion times across a million, billion, trillion platforms and shows and stuff. Leo as well is is another one of those guys. Al Pacino. Helen Mirren. I, I love, I love Helen Mirren so much. Um, but again, another Barbie reference there because I, I, I did not know that Helen Mirren was going to be the narrator in Barbie. I that loved. Was, I had this whole my life listening to her. Oh my god, she was so good. Like it was perfect, right? Like, oh, but yeah. So Emily Blunt. Going back to Emily Blunt, that scene maybe the greatest scene I've seen in the last like year or so it was perfect she was wanting oppenheimer to stick up for himself and then when he wasn't he was like fine she was like fine i'll do it for you and i'll absolutely cook and cook she did she cooked it was beautiful i really loved it honestly like oh she was oh god and you felt her presence yes like you felt like oh my god like this woman is is really good that, that woman's brilliant. Like, I think I was so shocked at how just, sh- like, she, how, I, I can't even explain it. Like, when she came in, you could probably tell, like, oh, my God, like, okay, she's going to be, like, this is going to be big. But I didn't know how, because Nolan doesn't write women well previously. Um, I think only time I've ever liked it, Interstellar. That's the best of a bad bunch. But I've never liked how you written women. I think if we go into that Dark Knight trilogy, I will be here for three hours about how badly the women were written in that. Um, especially Rachel Bloody yeah, that was terribly done. Um, in comparison to the other Batman um movies that have shown how they've written women well. But with Kitty, man, he went to boot camp. <laughs> I think he was set and he said, like, he said to himself, like, I can't write this woman badly. And I think probably what helped him in this case is that he had historical knowledge helping him and backing up his information. I think that probably helps him as well. Because the way he 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 wrote Kitty was she was, you felt like she weren't an accessory to Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. She was her own person with her own feelings, with her own views, with her own perspective of things, if that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. Um, so we'll go straight into um, Matt Damon because I know you probably want to talk about him. Matt Damon. How did you feel about Matt Damon? I wish I could be Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, what a man! Like it's very rarely that I watch someone, and 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 you know, you know, you know how I feel about like deifying people. I've deified maybe one person, one celebrity in my life as a you know, sports fan, and that was Kobe Bryant. Um, and then, yeah, Matt Damon is seriously entering that 
level of deifying. That man is unreal. The way he played General Groves was perfect because, like you said, if you were to put up mirror images of documentary General Groves, Matt Damon, it's the same person. It's literally, and, and I don't think I can, in a biopic, I don't think I can give you a bigger compliment than saying you are the same person. Matt Damon is the best and I will not take any other answer. And if anything icky comes out about Matt Damon, it will hurt me on a spiritual level. Like maybe no other actor, like you, like how you feel about Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, yeah. What, like I said, he gets underrated now by people. Like people just expect brilliance from him and he doesn't ever disappoint, which is lovely. And he's, he also is a great person because he strikes, you know, back strikers, you know, like back to strikes, back the actors who are striking, back the doctors who are striking, you know, us teachers, we got what we wanted out of the strikes. It's great. Striking works. You know, that's my little tangent there. Sorry. That's my left wingness <laughs> coming out there. Absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, striking works. We need to support people who strike. They get what they want. We live happy lives. Don't let people make you think that this is a bad thing. It's not. They want good lives. There you go. Matt Damon's great. General strikes. Yeah. General like, strikes. Just strikes in general are great. Like, you know, don't 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 make these governments make you think that you know, we, we, we shouldn't support these people. We absolutely should. Mick Lynch, you are doing the Lord's work, good sir. Junior doctors, you get paid £13 an hour. Absolute solidarity to you guys. Like, yeah. I, get your money. I, I don't know what... Nurses, great human beings. You strike your bums off if you need to. Like, serious. <laughs> don't let Rishi Sunak tell you that... a an, an increase of 4% is enough. It is absolutely not. It is scandalous and it's a joke. Um, but yeah, I feel like if I say any more than that, my impartiality rules at school will be broken and I will be out of a job, which I do not want. You know, I like my job. So. <laughs> no, sorry. Cause honestly, yeah, the, the SAGs, you know, SAG, the WGA, keep striking guys yeah. like I don't, I don't care how long it takes get your get your money up. even if i don't get season four of ted lasso for at least three four years you guys strike your little you strike like if i don't get june for another two years i don't mind strike it's okay if, if i don't get deadpool for a year it, it, it will hurt me it spiritually hurt. if i don't get industry season three it. it will hurt but you know get your money but in regards to Matt Damon, I thought I really liked his relationship with uh, Robert Oppenheimer in the film. I love the the sort of the wrestle between military science and how that works and how they actually did get on. So that was very interesting, and I thought like he was probably the only person I can't believe I'm saying this weirdly who understood Oppenheimer and his predicament. And I thought that was fascinating to watch and seeing sort of grow, sort of understand like, okay, like I know I do things in a military way. I need to be more understanding about how these lot do their things in their way. And so, and I thought he handled the weight of his character brilliantly. It felt like a fully real, obviously he's a real guy, but I felt like I was watching Groves. It felt like, okay, this is him. This is exactly what I'd imagine he'd be like if I was alive in that time period. And the moustache was doing great, doing great work for him. 
And I think the one scene, I mean, there's a couple of scenes that really resonate with me, but it was when he was trying to convince, obviously, the scientists to join. And it was like, do you want to defeat Hitler? Like, do you actually want to beat the Nazis? That should be enough for you to want to make this bomb. And just seeing the sort of, I can't even say predicament, but the, the sort of the mindset of what the military are in, like, we've got to beat this guy. We've got to beat these people from across the pond. Like, we have to beat them. And the stress that obviously he was being put under by his superiors as well. So I found that very, very fascinating. Um, and I think what they did well was that you got him, but I wasn't on his side, but I got him. Mm-hmm. Like, I got his motivations. And I got why he was the way he was, but I didn't be, I wasn't like, I, I kind of want you to, to get what you want though. I wasn't feeling that, if that makes any sense. Yes. I wasn't in that mindset, but we, let's what the, we'll talk about all the cameos because we can't go through all of them before we go into Killian. Who is your favorite cameo? Because there were many, a lot of people drop career best performances in this. So if you have to pick like, three cameos that are like, yeah. like, so three. It's like you're asking me who my favorite child is. Exactly. Um, I don't have any children. I thought Jason Clark was phenomenal as Roger Rob. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. But that you just come to expect that from Jason Clark. He plays a good, swarmy government guy very well. He just he's just good in everything. I don't know if you've watched the HBO show Showtime. Yeah. Um he he's perfect as Jerry West. Like he's the only person who can play Jerry West for the rest of the history of time, you know. So like as as a Laker fan as well, I'm I'm very obsessed and I cannot wait for season two of Showtime. Um I think Tom Conti played Einstein beautifully. Yeah. Absolutely beautifully. I thought felt like he was there. <laughs> yeah, literally. And that's the best compliment I can give him. And I'm going to go, obviously, Rami Malek because of how important his cameo was. But my God, did he hit it out of the park. He was like, so quiet. And I'm like, what's, what did he pay him for? Like, Why is he not talking? Why is he not talking? I kept what? thinking, you bought... I'm like, we could have we cast anyone else in here at this I mean? point. I'm like, you've got my guy in this. What's going to happen here? Then when he spoke, I thought, oh... That's why. <laughs> yeah. That's why he brought him in. That line reading, that maybe two minutes, was probably the most important two minutes of the entire act, the final act. That was yep. pivotal. But yeah, I, this was hard for me to pick. I Because like, sorry to interrupt, just continue on Rami yeah. Malek. Literally, an Oscar winner as Best Actor. And and I was so confused as to why he did not have him talk, like barely at all, up until that final. But then when he did talk, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. Perfect. Nolan, you know all. I apologize. Let me shut my mouth. <laughs> no, because oh, this was hard because there's so many people I can name. Josh Hartnett. Man. He had a lot of meteor role than I thought he was going to have, and he looked good. I was like, he killed it. Um, Tony Goldwyn, brilliant. Um, loved his loved his work in there, especially as the lead of the council and everything. I, I loved I loved what he did there. Um, Jason, I, I think Jason Clark for me, like he plays swarmy government guys so well. Like when he was questioning everyone, I'm like, oh damn! Like all right, like 
slow your roll, man. Like, relax. <laughs> Don't need to be asking them all those questions, but fair enough. Um, Aldrin. Oh, I've been a defender of this guy for years, especially when Solo came out. Because I felt so bad for him because he's such a good actor. But Solo was always going to be what he was because it wasn't written well. He's a brilliant actor. So to see him do his little thing, I smiled. Like, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I walked through fire for you. This is what I wanted. Like, I'm so, so happy he got his little moment and he got that little time to basically, like, have his little... Like, he was so good. And, like, even if he wasn't in it for long, like, you felt his presence. You felt him there. I'm trying to think who else. I mean, there's so many. I mean, Benny Safdie was brilliant. Benny oh. Safdie was amazing. Unreal. David Cromwell, amazing. I could have put him in there. Josh Peck for that atomic bomb scene. I felt his yes. fear. I was so scared. I was so scared. I was like, damn. I, I love Josh Peck. I love Josh Peck so much in that. I was like, yeah, I, I'm scared I, as well, man. Like... I feel like we both grew up on Drake and Josh, right? Yeah. And Drake Bell being an absolute horror fiend um, is is depressing. But having Josh Peck be a phenomenal actor who, by all accounts, seems like a pretty good human being as well, is, is it, 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 it sort of balances out it the balance fact out that the Drake good and Bell evil. is... Yeah. yeah. It's and a yin and yang, isn't it? Yin and yang, because there's so many people I can name. I mean, oh, bloody hell. Jack Quaid on the bongos, loved it. Yes. I need to see that again. And I'm happy he's... And he's got to watch the film again. Yeah, honestly, like, Jack Quaid on those bongos, I was cracking up. Like, I think... But for my third pick, I've got to go with Tony as Einstein. Or David Cromwell, one of the two. One of the two. Like, David Cromwell was... I would have had Benny Safdie in there, but David Cromwell was just... Oh, man. Like... What Nolan did very well was he managed to pull a career best performance. Dave Gary Oldman, I didn't even mention him, Flip Henneck. Gary Oldman. It's insane, isn't it? As President Truman. What he did, Nolan did very well, was a lot of people, there was a lot of people in this film. Some people, if you went and stayed for the credits, like Aldrin and all these guys were named as aides and were all sharing a title card. And he managed to get all these supporting roles and actors to and pull out career best. Florence Pugh was amazing herself. We haven't even, men- we we haven't haven't even mentioned about her. Florence Pugh. She was phenomenal. So I think they managed to pull out very good performances out of everyone. I'm not mentioning Ben Affleck's brother. I'm not mentioning that rapist, but you know, he was in there. He was in there. He was in that film. They could have gotten Ben. Ben could have done that, but you know. Um, but his best friend's in the film, so you could have won him as well. But they managed to pull career best top three performances out of everyone. Like, everyone came in and everyone was like, okay, right, like, I've got to be on the ball. Like, I've got to be serious. Like, this is, okay. Because if any of them flops, the whole film goes to pieces. You needed everyone to be on their A game for it to work because it was relying on the entire supporting cast and resting on Killian's shoulders for it to do what it's done. And everyone, I can't think of one person who did badly, including the cancelled person. Everyone did, I was shocked. I was shocked. Like, 
some people shocked me. Mr. Affleck, he played a very smarmy character, though. Yeah. Which made me happy, because I could just hate him. I could just hate him. So, And fucking yeah. good as well. Really pissed me off. I was like, damn it. Like, Nolan, pick Ben, man. If you're going to pick an Affleck, just pick Ben. Everyone loves Ben. Everyone loves Ben. Just do Ben. I'm all right with Ben. He can hang out with Matt Damon on the set. It'll be all good. They're, yeah, they're, they're best friends. They're best friends. Like... God, literally, it would have been the easiest thing to do. Easiest thing to do, but we ran away from the man himself, Killian Murphy. <sighs> my God! Now I'm going to preface by he saying, played... oh, Killian Murphy is one of my favorite actors. He's one of my favorite actors, and I was so happy he was getting a lead role. Yes. Like, what did you think? Because my head is blagged by him. Because, like, let's be real, this is like his first big blockbuster role, yeah. right? Even Peaky Blinders wasn't supposed to be this big. It no. became huge worldwide. Yeah, because it was on but BBC it wasn't supposed too. to be this big. Yeah. So, like, that became a phenomenon, but it wasn't supposed to be. Um, and then you look at, you know, his, the films he's been in, some good films in there, but nothing A-list blockbuster, not to this stage. And now we're talking about it to the point where this might be his pinnacle, and it's his first big blockbuster film. I don't know how you can get better than this. And knowing Killian, he'll just serve in everything. But my God, he was so good. Like, absolute 10 out of 10. Like, literally could not have played Oppenheimer better. Like, from his expressions, to the way he talks, to the way his personality came across, he was Oppenheimer. And again, in biopics, that's, like I said about Matt Damon, it's the biggest compliment I can give you when you are just the person. Like, it was great. Honestly, for me, I knew when Nolan picked Killian, I'm like, yeah, Killian does look like him, to be honest. So I was like, that's that, and Killian, yeah. and Killian can act, so that's not a problem. So I knew it was going to be good, but what he did, that's, man, like, that's probably one of the best performances I've seen in a Nolan movie. I'm putting him with Heath, I'm putting him with um, Guy Pearce, and I'm putting him with, like, I'm putting him with them. Because Guy Pearce was phenomenal in Memento. I thought Heath is Heath in The Dark Knight. Um, I loved... Killian actually was even brilliant himself in Dunkirk, to be fair to him, actually. Um, when he was playing the shiver and shoulder and didn't even have a name. But uh, I just... I've never seen a guy like... The only thing I can compare it to is when I was watching Succession, the early part of the last season, and Jeremy Strong did not have a lot of dialogue. Like, he weren't given the Emmy meaty that, you know what I mean? Not what Kieran and Sarah was getting. And you still felt, like, his torment, his pain, his suffering. You you felt like it was tangible. He weren't saying much, but his face was telling everything, basically. My depressive Eeyore, um, Kendall Roy. Uh, but that's the only thing I compared Killian to, was that, like, even when he wasn't saying anything, you could tell... Everything like the best example of this was 
after the Trinity test and you saw his face and he was like, shit. shit. What have I done? What have I done? Do you know the scene when he's in, in the in the hall with all the people and everyone's cheering and stuff and you can see him like slowly lose his mind and it felt like a horror movie you're watching. Like yeah. his face told so much that I was like, oh my God, like I don't pity you, but I feel for you. Yeah. You've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and you've successfully managed to make human, like he humanized Oppenheimer in such a way that I don't feel sorry for him. But I'm like, damn. I almost do. I almost do. Because I'm like, I don't, I, I don't think this should be anything, like you should have never done any of this, but man, I feel your pain. And I think... The thing, the line that sticks to me the most, remember the line that Einstein says to him in the end, was like, they didn't do it. You know, they didn't do it for you. They did it for them. And his face, when he reacts to that statement by Einstein right at the end of the movie. I was like, oh shit. Like, because I knew he was going to, I knew like, okay, he was good. I thought he was good all throughout. That last scene, I was like, yeah, this is a career best and I don't know how on earth you're going to top this. No. Because this was just like, you took it to places. I didn't think it could be taken. I felt his presence with, like, they were, he was around heavy hitters. He was in, like, Benny Safdie and all these people, like yes. Matt Damon, and everyone was acting so well. Emily Blunt, all these people are like, dropping performances, like, doing career best performances. Gary Oldman was doing wonders in that scene in the office oh yeah and i still felt like right like you're you're the guy i got immediately what nolan yeah i get what nolan and rdj were saying and matt damon in the press run for it when they said and emily but they all kept saying the film rests on his shoulders without his performance this film doesn't work and it's true like i don't think if killian does what he does in this film we don't have this film. We just have a, a very pretty decent movie on a on a, based on a war because it's World War Two. Good. It, it would be really good still. It would be really good still, but that's it. It won't it be perfect. Be like this. It won't be this. And that's a compliment to him because you're surrounded by like if everyone's dropping career best performances and I can still talk about you. You've done your job well. You've done your job. Very well, actually, in fact. So, I mean, Killian, like, God. I hope this, I know he doesn't like it because he prefers to indie stuff. Please, like, I need people to be calling him up. I need his phone to be blasting off. Like, this is a guy that can handle a lead role. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't give him the little nitty-gritty stuff. Like, he's capable of doing the big stuff. Give him the big stuff. Give him the stuff that he can bite his teeth into. But God's like... I mean, me and you both were completely enamored by Killian, but in regards of the theme, I wonder who is going to be in the MCU. Oh, he ain't joining that. I can bet you any money he's never joining the MCU. He's never joining any franchise. He never will. throw an absolute ton of money at him. He'll never do it. I, he doesn't like... I think... He hates the press. He, he yeah, hates he it. He would never do it. Unless they give him like a voice role, like Bradley Cooper, and he doesn't have to do it, 
mm-hmm. which would be a waste of him, to be honest. Oh, such a waste. The same way, it feels like he's Bradley Cooper's sublime as Rocket, but it still feels like I want to see Bradley Cooper's face. Yeah. In, in the thing. I want Bradley Cooper in the MCU. I want Bradley Cooper in the MCU, but no, Killian will never do it. Killian will yeah. never do it. I, I've If there's one thing I know that man won't do, he won't do a franchise. Bet you any money, he Just, will never do it. Uh, but Peaky Blinders, I get it as well. Yeah, Peaky Blinders becoming as popular as it was, I think, riled him. So I think he was, he was obviously, he, he loved that it was becoming popular and everything, but I don't think he was expecting all this to come no. with it. Um, but in terms of the wider, before we get into what Christopher Nolan did and what we thought of the score and stuff, the actual themes of the movie, I mean, the anti-war, anti-nuclear weapon, anti-military theme was very loud in this film, which is very yes. interesting because Christopher Nolan doesn't, is not a director who does that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you his Dark Knight trilogy, the one thing you can say about it is military propaganda. It's copaganda, like, yeah. really, um, Dunkirk, need we say more? It's literally about rescuing Allied um, British soldiers from German troops. So to see him take this route of going completely anti-military, completely anti-war, completely anti-nuclear weapon was fascinating i don't know what you thought of it because i just got yeah we should not be having these weapons these people should not be making these decisions and we should not be having war that was no, loud in this film yeah completely agree and I, I don't i don't want to repeat just for the sake of repeating but no yeah like that is my sentiment exactly i did not expect christopher nolan the guy who has profited from films like this for so long and has been excellent at them. Like, let's be real. Like, don't was unreal. Oh, unreal. You know, but to get that was in like, just, I can't speak highly enough about that's my stance too. Nuclear weapons should not be being made right now. Like simple as like, we know the damage they cause. We know how dangerous they are. We've done it. I'd rather you focus that energy on getting us to Mars. That's what it should be. Because honestly, like, I was very shocked. Because that's the only thing I was worried about going into it. So I'm like, because I'm a very war guy. So when, when all the criticisms, the criticisms, when the critics were coming out and saying, like, this is a very anti war movie, I thought it's interesting. Let me watch it. And I watched it and I'm like, oh, he's done some growing in his time probably from research in Oppenheim and maybe his viewpoint has changed. But I honestly, guys, like if the fear of, and I get it's a current fear from people watching Oppenheim that, oh my gosh, he's going to do the typical Christopher Nolan film when he's going to go into a war propaganda film. This film's not that. If you come out of that film wanting to go to war, there is something severely wrong with you because that's not what was coming across on the screen. It was very much, we fucked up. And we should not be doing any of this. We should. This should not be a thing. Like we should not be awarding people with this much power. No, we've got to stop this at its roots. And that's what he did. That's what he did well. And I, I loved it. I bloody loved it. Like I thought it was brilliant what he did. To be honest, and like bloody hell, like he really nailed it. Like I think there were so many things. I think I think the theme of grief in regards of how. Oppenheimer handled Gene Tatlock's um, death and obviously what I think the mental health aspects of it 
Robert Oppenheimer's anxiety pre um, the Trinity test when he was just starting out and his general mental health state then. I think his mental health state during the Trinity tests and how he felt with this all this pressure on him and afterwards the ruin of him I thought was fascinating like you're watching a man grow and reach the peak pinnacle of his power in his career and he's at the very peak of his powers and to see it crash the way it did was just shocking I think in many ways and I think even Kitty's subplot about her general well-being as well was very interesting as well and getting to the grips of into the grips of her like even when she hallucinated seeing Jean and um and Robert in the in the questioning yeah. scene yeah so honestly like the whole general I think the main thing to come away from this film is that which is my me and Alan's personal political opinion which is that we should not be going into war we should not be having nuclear weapons and we should not be asking some of our brightest minds to be creating these weapons like we should be asking them to do better things with their time. They're too smart, too amazing, too in- incredible people to be doing this. That should not, when they look at that life's work, it shouldn't be the case of like what these scientists I and mean, their descendants are going to look at is that their life's work is the bombings in Japan. That's their life's work. You've studied all those years in, in university and gotten all these degrees and masters and PhDs for that to be what you're remembered for, which is sad. No matter how it many is, lectures it, you give, it really about, is. Yeah, it's really sad. No matter how many lectures you give, no matter how many things you do for people, that's what you're remembered for. Like Robert Oppenheimer. Right, like Oppenheimer's a brilliant theoretical physicist, but he's not remembered for being a brilliant theoretical physicist. He's remembered for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And in a way, it is sad in a certain respect, but in a way it's not. And you can argue that's what he deserves, um, which he probably does. I, I don't want to get into some big morality thing here, because if we do, then I will drink an entire bottle of Jack Daniels and cry myself to sleep. Um, so let, let's, not, let's not be doing that. The morality um, argument, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good versus evil. I mean, that's we don't even need to go into the morality aspect of it, but... When you came away, because I think that was a, a main, I think Christopher Lowe was trying to present, was was, Chris, was was Robert Oppenheimer. Like, a lot of people coming out saying he's a good person, he did a bad thing. Someone said he's a bad person, he did a bad thing. Whereas I, I don't know about you, I was somewhere in the middle where I think, I don't think there's good or bad. I think he was a complex character. I think he had good elements about himself. I think he's a... But... For me, he realised what went wrong too late. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. He's not a bad... He, I don't think he's an inherent... I think he's a scientist who got excited about new discovery, which, as a scientist myself, albeit nowhere close to that level, like, I want to preface by saying that, you know, I, I went to an exceptional school. I, I really, really did. You know, Manchester is an exceptional school. Um, of science but at the same time I'm nowhere near that level but to be remembered for what I think that will have hurt him especially and we saw it in the film it really does hurt him that that's the thing he'll be remembered for because I don't think he's a bad human I just think that he got excited about this brand new discovery that comes to questions I think he was so this is where I think a lot of 
the argument a lot of times with STEM majors as well that comes in a lot is that there's an element with people who study the sciences and maths where you think so much about the core subject you're studying that there's a human aspect mm-hmm. of it that's forgotten. Like he was so caught yes. up in this in what he was creating, and I'm like, but what about the human implications of what you're doing? The people that you've moved out from Los Alamos is one. Then yeah. there's the fact that if this bomb gets used, you're targeting Nazis, but there are some German citizens who are not involved in any of this. Yes. Because there's still going to be um, Jewish people hiding yeah. in these in their houses. There's still going to be like all these minorities hiding in those houses. So what about them? Do they Absolutely, deserve to die yeah. and get bombed? Because not everyone was in a concentration camp. Do you know what I mean? So even the sense of how can you trust a military to only use it in this instant? You've given them the power to destroy anyone. Should they be given the power to destroy anyone? Like for me, that's where I was. That's a really, really good point. Yeah. That's that's for me. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't think anyone should come out of thinking, "Oh, he's a good guy. He's a bad guy." I feel sorry for him. I don't feel sorry for him. It's a case of this is a story of history that's that's teaching us to go, okay, like we don't think about the human aspect of anything anymore. He's a flawed human. He's a that's flawed he human is. being, and I don't think we think about the impact that some of our decisions have on other people at all. We don't. You know, regardless of anything you do, there's going to be a human implication caught up in the mess of it. And I think Oppenheimer did not once think about anyone until afterwards, until it was too late. But it's too late to repel back the effects. People are still feeling the effects of the bombings now. Yeah. So I thought those themes were very fascinating. But we'll go to the last two things. Score. Ludwig. Man, again, 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 oh man, what a man. Unreal, unreal, unreal. He did amazingly. That was, that's score, the questioning scene score, score, um, like the Trinity scene, like every, oh, every, oh my God, everything he did, I was like, this is like, there were bits where it felt like it was a horror movie. Like, I keep listening to the score. I'm obsessed with the score. Like that has to win best score in the Oscars. That ha- has to win it. I can't see. I can't see anything else beating it because it was, it, it was perfect. The sound editing, Christopher. I'm applauding you. You've beaten the sound mix allegations. <laughs> We've beat the allegations. Because <laughs> the editing for the Trinity test scene. It's some of the best work I've seen in a load of, in a load of film ever. To see the test, and I'm expecting like a massive like crescendo, and it's pure silence, and you just hear them breathing for about three minutes. And I remember I'm like, I don't think I can eat my popcorn. Like I was like, damn. It's like when it was just there breathing, I was like, okay, okay, damn, damn. Like this is scaring me. This is a bit scary. Like the sound mix in the score, Ludwig, man. Thank you, Ryan Coogler, for introducing this man to me. You've changed my life. Because I was surprised that he did so well. Like, bloody hell. But Christopher Nolan himself, we've talked about him all throughout the episode. What did you think? I don't want to say his best work because of how 
good his his filmography is, right? You know, it's, but maybe his best work, like, mm. and that is no mean feat because, like, when you look at his films, you have The Dark Knight is one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite um, superhero films mm-hmm. because of Heath Ledger. You have, I think, Tenet is slept on deeply. I love Tenet. I think Tenet is unreal. Interstellar is unbelievable. Um, Dunkirk, for a war thriller, and you you know my opinion on war, it is an unbelievable, unbelievable film. Um, I think this is his best work. And I, I'm not trying to get hot takey. It's not recency bias. I'm biased because I'm a scientist, obviously. But I think this is his best work. Charles, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong at all. I, th- I, I, like I, I said, I, yeah. I think I'm biased because of you know my background, but unreal. No, I, I actually think you're right. To be honest, I, I, man, I don't, I don't think it gets better than that with him. To be honest, if you want me to be completely honest, um, I think it's some of his best work. Um, I think his directing was brilliant as always. Um, but I think what makes this one different was that it felt like the best bits of all his films. Yeah. He took pieces of what makes him great in all of his films and he just made this film and made it into what it was. And honestly, like, I I put this as my number one for him. I'll put this as my number one. I'm going to watch it again. You and love Inception, though. I, I love. Feel like... I love Inception so much. It always was Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, Interstellar, and Tenet will argue between third. Um, but because Prestige, Tenet's great, Tenet's amazing. I'm a Tenet sympathizer. Like, I love Tenet. I don't get why people don't like it. Because people, do you know what the worst thing is? What's going to happen? And I know, I know, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Which is that. You know the whole thing when people are like, oh my gosh, like, in 10 years' time, that's actually a really good film. It's going to annoy me. People are not going to get it. It's like, do you remember The Fifth Element when that came out? Like, not everyone got The Fifth Element and then maybe a few How good later. is... I know I know he's not in this film, but how good is John, J- John David Washington? You know my what? God. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Before Tenet, I never used to think... Did you not watch Black Klansman? I did. I didn't like him in it. What? <laughs> no. And I didn't like him in it. I was trying so hard. That's a black because man. Because I love black clansmen. I, I was trying to say, that's a black man. That's Denzel's son. I was trying to, I was trying to back it. And I couldn't back it, man. But I never used to, he never used to grab me. And then I watched Tenet and I thought, ah, okay. There's something there. I, I love black clansmen. I love that film. I didn't like him in it. It's one of my favorite films. Black Clansman. It's a joke because I love Spike. Spike Lee's got some good films. Some of my favorites. Some of my favorite Spike Lee film because I think you know what it was Adam Driver was unreal. Adam Driver was so Clansman. good in it that he paled in comparison to me. That was the issue. Fair. That's a different. That's a different argument. Also, I don't personally. I just don't know. Do you know what it is because his mom and dad are such good actors. So that's what I was. I was looking at. He, he's set up to fail, isn't he's he? Set up to fail. Is... That her is your mom, and obviously your dad's Denzel. So I was like, ooh. 
and there's uh, there's actors who break them all like Jack Quaid's a very good actor and his mum's Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid like he's very good I loved him in the Scream films and I love him in The Boys and The Adventures of Superman and all the stuff he's done especially in The Hunger Games he was a prick in The Hunger Games um but there's actors who, who work against them. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is a Nepo baby. Tony Goldwyn is the ultimate Nepo babies of all Nepo babies. Liza Minnelli. Like, people broke the mould and stuff, but John Mould, John David Washington was never one that convinced me till Tenet. Then I was like, oh, all right, you can hold your weight. Because Robert Pattinson was Robert Pattinson was so good that it's very easy oh. to pale in comparison to him in that film, but he did a very good but job. But Pattinson's good in everything. He's just, Robert Pattinson's just a great man. But... I just love Robert Pattinson yeah. so much, but Christopher Back- Nolan, God, do you know what? Like, I want him to take a five-year break, man. This this ain't gonna be top, man. Like, just take a five-year break, and you do whatever little little spy filler mind-bending thing you want afterwards. You, you don't know? need to make anything after you, this. I don't think I think he could actually retire with this as his last. He's made year. enough money off Oppenheimer. Like Even Oppenheimer, as we speak now, has broke even. It's got 157 million in the box office for a free for a hundred million pound film that was made, and for a three hour R rated historical biographic. Like that's crazy. Those sort of films don't make that sort of money ever. That's a cool forty, maybe fifty million. Over three day open week over opening day weekend, but for it to make this much, and Oppenheimer has legs. Oh yeah, so a lot of people are going to be continuously watching that over this. I'm going to go watch period. it. Again. I'm going to watch it again. Um, guys, if you're in London and you're and you want to watch it, please, I implore you guys, watching the actual science museum. Like you can watch it in the science museum. Yeah, British Science Museum. There has an IMAX cinema in there. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, so watch it. Do you know what? Because it makes so much of a better experience. Like, even if you've got, like, older... If you've got, a, like, a younger brother. Because people don't be taking out their siblings, I've noticed. Their younger siblings out. Like, I do that because, you know... I'm, I do that. Do you know what I mean? We're that's, good human beings. We're good human beings. But some people don't. But if you've got a younger sibling and stuff, like, take them out to the science museum for the day and then let them watch Oppenheimer afterwards. Like, it'd be really cool for them to see something that they've learned in the museum. Because mm-hmm. they have these really cool atom stuff, like really, really cool. The Science Museum is one of the best museums in the country. I could put my hand down and say it. It's amazing. So definitely watch if you're in London or you've got the means to go travel to London. Definitely do it and watch Oppenheimer as intended by Oppenheimer himself. He'd want to. He'd want you to watch it in the Science Museum. If you ask yes. me, a hundred percent. And if you can watch it in IMAX, this is not like. The extra £10 for your cinema ticket is worth it. In it's this worth case, it. yeah. It's worth it. With this, with a Nolan film, you've always got to watch it in IMAX. It's yeah, not the same in a normal cinema. It's not the same. Watch it first in IMAX and obviously then watch it. You, you, but you need your first time for it to be IMAX. Seeing the Trinity, the Trinity operation and the... Oh um, my gosh, with the surround sound. If, if you didn't see that in IMAX, if you did not see that in IMAX, you'd be missing out. You'd be missing Maybe. out too much. You've missed out. I, I really believe that. Look, honestly, you really missed out. But guys, it's been a sick episode. Obviously, had a fun time with Alan. Um, but we've got a new... The episode up next will be barbie where jess will be back from bloody scotland that i'm excited to talk about i've 
me and Ryan Gosling go together real bad, so tune in for that one. Um, but this is probably our longest episode today, and I would apologise, but no, because Christopher Nolan requires like an hour and a bit of conversation, to be honest. I chat shit a lot. My 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 podcasts usually go like above an hour. It, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Like, we usually just make an hour, but I knew Christopher Nolan was going to be an hour. I'm sorry. We can't talk about Oppenheimer 45 minutes to an hour. That doesn't make any nope. sense. This is like real shit. So, guys, like, obviously, like, comment, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. Um, rate on your Apple podcast, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Thank you guys so much. And obviously in this episode, we realized that Oppenheimer is cinema. So five star rating for me. 10 out of 10. Never getting better. Thanks so much, Alan, for coming in. Alan will be coming back again. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. He's going to be a reoccurring guest. I'm not going to lie to you. Love to hear it. Love to to be on. Especially when, when the MCU kicks around again. Oh, I'm, trust I'm me, when the excited. Marvels come out, Alan's here. Oh, don't you worry. Don't when the Marvels Br- come out. Brie Larson and Tiana Paris in a film, I am there. And I'll I'm be there. watching. Don't you worry. <laughs> What's that thing, Pep Guardiola? I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. there. I'll be there. <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, and we'll see you guys later. Thanks, guys. Yeah.